Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. If you're likely to get a little bit of money for Christmas or you fancy getting yourself a year-end treat, then our supporting partners, We Are One Composites and Seven Mesh, have got some awesome deals for you. Firstly, apologies if you've had any issues using the We Are One Composites discount code. I know a few of you have been in touch to let me know. It does work, but you need to use it at the very final stage of the checkout process, which is the confirm order page. So to get an incredible 15% off anything from We Are One Composites, including their brand new convergence wheels, their recently reduced and still very awesome revolution wheels, or their bike, the arrival, all you need to do is to use the code downtime December 15 at the checkout over at weareonecomposites.com. That's Downtime with a capital D, December also with a capital D, all one word, followed by the number 15 over at weareonecomposites.com. Don't forget that code needs to go in at the very final stage of the checkout process in order to work. You've got until midnight on the 31st of December to make the most of this awesome offer, so head over to weareonecomposites.com and choose what you want. While We Are One strive to make the best wheels on the planet, Seven Mesh are on a mission to make the best cycling clothing on the planet, whether you're on a mountain bike, a gravel bike or on the road. Based in British Columbia, they have extreme terrain and varied weather as their testing ground and inspiration. Combine that with being founded by three of the team from high-end outdoor clothing brand Arcteryx and you have a recipe for something special. I've been lucky enough to wear some 7mesh gear over the last few months and both the quality and the performance have really impressed me. The styling is pretty low-key and the colour options I would say are natural and all go together really well. Today it's throwing it down with rain so it's the perfect day for their co-pilot jacket. This fully seam sealed jacket keeps you dry but it's also lightweight and packable. Made of Gore-Tex Packlite, it breathes well so when the effort increases you don't get too hot. It's got a hood that actually fits over a helmet and it all packs down into its own rear pocket which then straps onto the bike so you don't need to have any space for it in a pack. The other staple for me has been the Chilco Anorak. This thing seems to regulate temperature like nothing else I've ever worn and it's worked well for me on the bike across a really wide range of temperatures. It's super comfortable too so you can wear it next to the skin or as part of a layering approach. Whether you're wanting to try 7mesh for the first time or you're already hooked, they're offering downtime listeners a very generous 20% discount using the code DOWNTIME7MESH20. That's downtime followed by the number 7, then MESH, M-E-S-H, and the number 20, all in capitals with no spaces. That's downtime7mesh20 over at 7mesh.com. Head over now and check them out, and what's even better is that they ship globally, so wherever you are, you can get your hands on some top quality riding gear at a reduced price. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Hit follow or subscribe in your podcast app now, or there are buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Also, if you could give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook, it's the best place to keep in touch and it's always great to hear from you. We're at Downtime Podcast. Valley Holt had a pretty much perfect junior career, so there were huge expectations piled on her arrival in the elite ranks. An injury at World Champs in 2020 put her out of contention, but a rollercoaster couple of years followed with crashes, frustration and tears, alongside an overall title and a World Champs win. We sat down to chat all about the last few years and find out how it's been from Valley's perspective. Valley openly shares the ups and downs of being a young world-class athlete. Hear what Valley has learnt, what turned around her performance on the bike and what it was like becoming world champ. Valley's story shows just how hard it can be to be the best. So without further ado, here's Valley Hall. Valley Hall, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Thank you so much. Um, I'm doing great. Uh, enjoying uh, the time at home at the moment, enjoying some snow time. Yeah. 
Excellent. Good stuff. But you were away last week, I think, was it with some, some testing? How did that go? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm away a lot at the moment. Like, uh, November was really busy. You had some training camps on Mallorca and then some sick filming in Portugal and, uh, some testing in France. So yeah, enjoying it was good. Yeah. Are you able to say anything about what kind of stuff you were testing or is it all top secret? Uh, I think it's, it sounds more interesting when I say it's secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's fair enough. Are you doing a lot more testing these days? Would you say now that you've kind of moved into the elite ranks? Uh, yeah, definitely. Also, I'm like more curious and I kind of start thinking a bit more about like, what could I try and test? I also want to test like some basic stuff just to know what I'm talking about. You know, for yeah. example, uh, I don't know, breaks. Like I never really wondered why we, we run those. And then like I asked Matt to to uh, organize some different stuff and then I just do back-to-back testing just so that I know what's the difference. And I mean, we know which parts are the better ones, but I just want to know and yeah. feel it. Now that's cool. So in the past, have you kind of like let Matt, your mechanic, deal with like, I guess the bike setup side of things and now you're getting more curious and and trying to have more of a like a two-way relationship on, on how you set the bike up for each race oh definitely i mean the main reason was that first i had not really that much time to do testing or like you know i was in school and then i only had a week of riding and then i just used it to get laps in and also i couldn't really give any feedback because i had no experience in and right now i ride my bike pretty much every month which i never did before and you know, most of the time when you have like two months off, it kind of takes you a while to, you know, get back into riding. And now I never had like a longer break break than like two weeks. So, uh, yeah, it definitely feels a lot easier. Yeah, that's good. Are you using data acquisition and things like that as well alongside it? Yeah, we actually started uh, during the World Cup season with it. I think the first weekend was uh, Andorra and the result wasn't that bad. So <laughs> Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I think uh, we're going to stay on it. I hope so. Excellent. Do you think it's helping you get the bike into a better setup or just helping you get set up quicker? Mm, I guess just the balance and everything. Um, we don't take it that serious because like sometimes if you feel better with a faster rebound, but the system tells you to slow it down, you just, you know, use it as you for your riding style, I guess, because yeah. it's just how you ride and that's how you like it. So. Interesting. Have you changed much then in your like your setup with all this testing that you've done? Are there things that you used to kind of like in a bike that maybe you've changed your mind on? Um, well, obviously this season was a bit different because we are in the black box program. So basically every week I had a different uh, new uh, addition to my fork. So it was always a bit hard to, not hard, but just like you always had to readapt. And obviously every step was like better than mm-hmm. before. So you just like had a better feeling on the bike. So yeah, it was actually a pretty interesting season for me because I never got the chance to actually, you know, discover a new product like this before. Yeah. Yeah. First time on black box. It must be quite exciting when they first tell you that you're, you know, now a black box athlete and you get all the latest and greatest stuff before anyone else does. That's pretty cool. Oh, definitely. And I never really, uh, you know, I never saw how that whole process is working because I saw the first product like a year before and it looked, you know, terrible. Like how should we ride it? Because it's just so chunky and massive. And then if you look at the fork now, 
it looks pretty dope and it works really well. So uh, it's pretty cool to be part of that process. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like you say, it's, uh, it's something that's changing kind of on a regular basis where maybe consistency can be helpful, even if it's a better product, it doesn't always make your life easier. I suppose you've got to readjust. Oh, definitely. And also like, uh, I would say the fork I, I was racing in at world champs was definitely not the same. Like I was racing in Lourdes and obviously it's not quite easy if you have to change a fork like two weeks before the first world cup. So I was a bit nervous <laughs> and, uh, it was a bit hard for me. I just struggled with a bit of arm pump, but, uh, obviously that's, uh, how products develop, you know, they yeah. just get better and better, but maybe the first version is not as great as the fork you were riding before, but now yeah. we are on a really good, uh, on a really good one. So I'm stoked with everyone else. Yeah, that's cool. Let's, um, let's go back a little bit in time. So last time we chatted for the podcast, you were wrapping up basically a pretty much perfect junior career. Um, you were looking forward to making that move up into elites. You'd already obviously been comparing times and things and, and had, had your hopes and dreams for that move up. A lot has gone on since then. Um, and we'll start with that team move because you went from YT across to Trek. Was that a tricky decision for you? Were there lots of offers? Like how did that all fall into place? Oh man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been with YT for like forever, my whole racing career more or less. So it was hard for me to, to do that step, but I think for me it was really, you know, important and like, I don't know, just with the way SRAM RockShocks proposed me that team, it was just amazing opportunity to, you know, enter a bigger bike concern and like have more possibilities in that way. And, uh, yeah, the team was, was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we had Jamie and Tegan on and the bikes were great and we just had a bit more possibilities to, to test stuff and also ride a mullet, which, uh, I think for my size was, was the perfect move, even though the first season I was on full 29er, but I think that also had something to do that from 2020 season to the 2021 season, I was injured and I couldn't really test the bike. And I just felt so uncomfortable with the new mallet, with the new bike. They just said, okay, make it as similar as the YT, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. So I stayed on 29er and then uh, last off season I changed to the mallet and it was just better for me. Got yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about that, that first season. So COVID delayed the start of it and we got cracking finally with world champs in Leergang, which is a, like basically your home track, I guess. Was that mm-hmm. an ideal way for you to start your elite career or like the worst possible place <laughs> and event for you to do your first ever world level elite race? Well, honestly, I think I'm the only person who had took advantage of the whole COVID situation because in 2020, I also graduated in school. And if the World Cup season would have been normal, I think it would have started also super early with like Portugal. Yeah. I I would have missed two World Cups because of my A-levels. Okay. So that would have been like a World Cup season to like... I didn't really think about the overall, but like I didn't want to miss two races, but obviously school and my graduation for me at that point was like really important to get it done. Yeah. And so, yeah, there were no races. So I could graduate school. I had a lot of time to prepare for my first elite race. And the first one was actually Crankworks Innsbruck. It was just the weekend before world champs and mm-hmm. I won it. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, like this is a really good start. This is sick. And then, yeah, I felt really comfortable at world champs in 2020. Like 
it was it was cool i enjoyed it i enjoyed it to be in the in, yeah in the focus and uh i rode really well and uh you know seated first but then like yeah had a silly crash and got my first injury but i also wasn't that bummed to miss that season because with covid it didn't really feel right and normal and also it was my first season so i didn't really expect anything so yeah so the media that that kind of intense media focus on you at Lear Gang world champs in 2020 that was not hard for you did you did, did it almost help you like did you do you mm. thrive off that pressure i kind of enjoyed it but also at the same time i think it was way better than it was for example this season because there were no people at the race you know there was just social media and like People could call me, but if I turned off my phone, you know, nobody could reach me. <laughs> so uh, this year was way harder because there were people there talking to me constantly and asking me and interviewing me. And uh, yeah, I struggle a bit more with like face-to-face -face interaction than like, you know, replying on the phone. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So tell us a bit about that crash thing. Cause it was, was it on the, on race day morning? You'd qualified fastest the day before, right? Or no, on the Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was, you know, the weather was super bad. I think it was snowing on top and it was super cold. And, you know, I was still a junior in my head. I didn't really think about it because I jumped that river gap all the time. So why should it not work on the last day? And apparently everyone else struggled way harder in the woods, but I was just riding the woods. Like I've never rode so clean in the woods. And I was not thinking about the jump that this could be a problem. And just came a tiny bit too short, not even bad. Like I just like landed on the knuckle and hit the the ground with my pedal. And then like, I, you know, broke my ankle and everything, but it was actually not too bad. It was not that painful in that moment. So. Okay. I, what was, what was the recovery process like? Cause breaking a joint, like breaking a bone is kind of fairly straightforward often, right? It heals mm -hmm. quite nicely and it's, it can be quite, quite simple. Breaking a joint's a bit bit different right you mobility yeah, can be an issue like, like i torn all the ligaments uh in my ankle and also the syndesmosis so it took a bit well it took long compared to i guess breaking a collarbone or breaking something else i guess I, luckily i never i didn't have that many injuries yet so i don't really know the other recovery times but um well i think the funny thing is like I had surgery in October and I already went skiing in December, but I couldn't ride my bike because it was so painful, but it was wow. fine in the ski boots. So, uh, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you had, I guess, like having a bit of support, uh, help there to get you the best care and get things working as, as much as possible. But I'm guessing there was a lot of work went into that really to get it all back working properly. Oh yeah. I had massive help from Ripple. Um, without them, it was it was insane. It was so cool. Like when I crashed, I went straight to the hospital and then, uh, already my athlete manager at that time from Red Bull, you know, he like called already a few hospitals around Salzburg to get like appointments for Monday to check in. And, um, yeah, then I had surgery from one of the best, uh, surgeons in Austria and, uh, it was pretty, pretty cool, like easy going. And then, uh, I think there was lockdown again in the, in the winter. Yeah. And then uh, Rebel organized me an apartment in Salzburg, uh, always from Monday to Friday. So I could stay there and do rehab every day for like two months, pretty much. Whoa. So I was never home, which was cool because it was boring anyway. And uh, <laughs> I could just focus on, on rehab 
pretty well. So that was, that was so cool. Did you find it kind of frustrating or a bit boring doing stuff like that? Cause like, you know, at the end of the day, you're an extreme yeah. sports athlete. You want to be out riding downhill bikes or trail bikes or skiing or whatever. And suddenly you're doing like quite small things, I guess, like trying to get this yeah. ankle back going. Was that frustrating? Well, actually not really, because it, first of all, it was the first off season where I did not have to go to school. So I was okay. like, oh my God, I can sleep until eight o'clock. I don't have to wake <laughs> up at six. I don't have to study anything. I don't need to read anything. Like I don't have to do anything boring. And also it was my first injury. So like every day was like kind of interesting and like okay. actually not, not exciting obviously, but uh, it was just new to me and it was quite uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fair play. So, I mean, yeah, 2020, it was a bit of a write-off of a season for everyone, really, like COVID kind of wrecked things. And like you said, you weren't necessarily that bothered about missing it, but I'm guessing you were pretty hungry coming back into 2021, like ready to get started again. Yeah, so my first Elite World Cup was Liogang again. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, yeah, not, I wouldn't say pressure, but just like it was cool to have the first race at home. And then I won Leo Gang qualifying again. <laughs> and then I guess everybody remembers my crash in the last turn in Leo Gang. And I still got second, only one second off, which is, if I think about it now, it's like insane. Like, how can you crash and still get second? Like, it's, it's so cool. And I think from that disappointment on, I kind of made my life pretty hard for myself. Yeah, like, I was, I was gonna... not stoked for anything I did in that season. So I was going to say, yeah, what was going on in your head after that, that initial race, like that crash in Lear gang, mm. you were on this fairy tale, I guess, to, you know, to take that win, you'd already taken qualifying. You had plenty of margin and it, it it's about as bad as it can get, I guess. I mean, yeah. second place is still incredible. Like you say in yeah. hindsight, but on the day it must've felt pretty bad. Like how, how did you go about trying to process that and move on from it? Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause like now I had like quite a few weeks and years to think about it, like what actually happened or even like how my whole career evolved over the last couple, like since I started juniors to now, like it was a fairy tale, like everything worked out perfectly. Even if I got injured, like the first race I show up, I get second first elite world cup, I get second. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird. Cause at that time I felt so shit. Like I felt like I couldn't ride a bike. Like everything I do is not working. Everyone except expects me to win. And like, I also had the feeling because I didn't go to school anymore that now I need to win because this is my job. This is what I get paid to do. And this is what I want. And I was only thinking about making other people happy and like, not, I always felt like I need to deserve the spot and the sponsors I have. Like I, I need to show people that I deserve it. And I thought the only way I can show them is with results, but that's not true because, you know, you have to, first of all, don't think about what other people can expect or will expect or say about you or think about you because at the end of the day, you are here and sponsors pay you because you're a cool athlete. You, you have skills, you have style, you, you know, that they take you for a reason and not just how you perform on your, in your race run, because also how you perform during the week in practice runs, qualifying, everything counts and how, how you intake with people, you know? So 
Yeah, and now I had sure. a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's good in hindsight, right? But yeah. in that season, like it was a bit of, or it felt like from a spectator's, from a fan's perspective, it felt like a bit of a downward spiral for you. Like you, it looked like you were kind of, the frustration was growing throughout the season. And I guess, I mean, it's super hard, right? Like you say, you've got this expectation from yourself to some extent, I guess, but also from media, fans, probably, you know, sponsors and brands and stuff as well. And you're, in your mind at least, failing, right? In front of a large audience kind of week in, week out. Where, where was your head at in the kind of darker parts of that season? And how did you kind of approach trying to deal with it? Oh, it was actually quite bad. Like I didn't see my friends anymore. I was just focusing on training and I was not in a bad mood, but like everything I did every day was just to win the next weekend and to win a race. But I mean, man, I was so stupid. I mean, I was 19 or 18 at that time and I just didn't know that like you have to be happy and enjoy your life to be a good athlete. And and it's not all about results and winning because first of all, winning is super hard. You're not the only person who wants to perform and you kind of have to deserve it in one way. And, uh, you know, you can't win everything. And looking back, the only thing I knew was winning and I never failed before in my life. I didn't fail in school. I didn't fail in my racing and I just had to learn how to deal with it. And to be honest, I was really bad. I was a really bad loser. Um, I, you know, I know that I struggled to be happy for other people kicking my ass in some races. I just was so angry with myself that I left the finish area immediately. I didn't even say congrats to, to the winner. And now I'm like, Oh my God, you're so stupid. Like it's so <laughs> embarrassing. But you know, after the race, I went out to the pit and went to the girls and said, congrats, because you know, they did amazing. And that's just stuff I needed to learn because I never had to do that before. Yeah, definitely. And I guess you've got, you know, a lot of people reaching out with advice, whether it's on like how to approach the racing or, you know, how to change bike setup, like all sorts of stuff. Everyone oh, yeah, <laughs> wants to be helpful. Was any of it helpful? Like, how did you find that barrage of like help in inverted commas well, coming I mean, your the way? thing is like social media like people giving you advice even though they have no idea they don't know you you know people telling you oh you should see a sports psychologist and it's like dude you actually have no idea how how my surrounding looks like I do already work with someone I do have the best people working on my bike I just struggle with myself at the moment because I'm 20 years old and I'm just you know, becoming an adult and there's so many other things going on at the same time. Like just give me a few more years to like settle <laughs> in and find my confidence because I feel like just because I've been in the scene for, or like people talk about me since I'm like, since I signed with YT, they feel like I've been there already for quite a long time. But I think they forget that I'm only 21 now since last weekend <laughs> <laughs> did you so yeah you had support from like professionals i guess like a sports psychologists that kind of thing did you find that work helpful i mean it's not nothing that anyone does is ever like mm. an overnight fix is it it's always a process of learning but was there helpful stuff going on in the background that eventually helped you turn things around well actually i think the turning point for me was like meeting a really good friend uh Noga Karem, she's racing EWS. And I think for me, that was the turning point because 
I never met someone so funny and so life happy or however you say that. Like yeah. she's so cool. And then uh, I think it was after Maribor, we went on a holiday and normally I would never like go in between races on a holiday, but man, it just changed my life. And I just had a different view on my career, on what I'm doing and why I do it. And from that week on, I was a different human. And I think in that week I changed a lot. And yeah, after that holiday, I did really well again in the World Cup and just enjoyed it to be at the races. Interesting. Were there, was there like certain things she said to you that stood out or was it just being with Noga for that period of time that kind of gave you some different motivation and thoughts on stuff? Yeah, it was just like being with Noga. <laughs> it was so funny. Like we trained so hard, like I never, you know, pedaled so far in my life. And like we had so much fun on the bike and just enjoying it again and laughing. And, you know, you don't have to be serious to be a good racer. You can also like have fun and enjoy it and go out and drink a cocktail or two or three and still go riding the next day. And just like, you know, we're such in a happy place and like fortunate spot where, where I am, like I get to do the, my hobby as a, as a job. And, you know, I live in Austria, it's super beautiful and my family supports it and everyone is stoked and healthy. And I kind of had to like, I don't know, discover it a bit more. And like, I know how happy I am now and I really appreciate it. Awesome. So coming into snowshoe then at the end of that season, you'd gone that whole season without taking that first elite win. You'd had these ups and downs and these frustrations. Mm. Um, but it sounds like by that point you'd had this like transformative week with Noga, which sounds awesome. How are you feeling coming into snowshoe? Was it a different Valley that turned up? Oh, definitely. I feel like the the first time I felt really happy was like Lentide. I just, I just, I became third and it was so cool. Like I was way more stoked than being second in Leogang. And uh, I was just stoked. And then uh, I think I crashed the world champs in Valley Sole, but I didn't really care because it was my first world champ or like uh -huh. second world champs in the lead. Yeah. And uh, yeah, coming into Snowshoe, I kind of already like wrote the season off like I flew into snowshoe fourth in the overall and I didn't really think about anything special to happen, but then, you know, it turned out to be a super fun track and, uh, yeah, I won the overall, everybody knows that, but I know that, uh, I was just really lucky that someone else was super unlucky. And, uh, I mean, I was super stoked to win uh, two times in a row and win my first two elite world cups, but I also knew that, you know, I won because someone else was super unlucky and, for me, it didn't really feel satisfying. You know, I want to win. I want to win and be better than everyone else without anyone else having troubles and crashing and, you know, having bad luck. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that happened at world champs this year. So I'm, I was super stoked. <laughs> yeah. Well, so three wins came out of that weekend in snowshoe, the first and the second race and the overall, mm. which of those three was the most important to you then? Mm, I think the first one. Definitely. Yeah. Why is that? Because my first elite workout win. <laughs> <laughs> did that, did it, was it a relief? Like, do you feel like it took a pressure off for that second race that weekend? Uh, well, definitely. Because like I, every time I knew I have this, I have this skills and the speed to win. And 
it felt like people or people and I waited for it so long. But if you think about it, it was only my second elite season or like first real elite season where I showed up. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm like a really impatient person. So uh, it already, you know, took a really long time for me. But if uh, if I look back now, like I was how old? 19, winning, winning the first elite World Cup. It's it's pretty young. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, reflecting back on that season now then with all this like learnt experience, how do you feel that season went for you and, and how important do you see that season as part of your like growth in your career? Uh it was uh it was amazing. I mean, I learned so much from it and it was good to have the experience, but I didn't imagine it would happen a second time this season. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I know how it's working, done. I know how to fail. I know how to crash, blah, blah, blah. Show up next season, boom, same, sorry, bullshit <laughs> happens. The same exact order, blah, blah, blah. Everything happens again. And I was like, hey, but I'm like, I'm happier. Like I'm stoked. I really want to be here, blah, blah, blah. But I think like winning the overall, made me feel like I need to win everything now. Yeah. Okay. And the only thing I was thinking about was the result. Like I didn't think about how I look when I ride, how I'm feeling, how my emotions are. I just wanted to see the final result at the end of the day, but I didn't really appreciate it anymore that I did really well in time practice. I did really good in qualifications and I only thought that the result is important rather than everything else. And uh, yeah, it just made me fall in that hole a little bit more. And I was just really frustrated. Leo Gang was a really, really bad one because, you know, I felt, for me, I failed two times already in Leo Gang. And then I failed again, crashed two times in my run, which is super embarrassing. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, I never cried before in my whole life about a result or races or sports in general. But when I crossed the line in Leogang, I just broke. Like, I've never been so sad in my life. I, you know, cried my eyes out. I never had that. Like, honestly, the last time I cried was when my grandma died when I was eight years old. And this was the second time I cried. And it just, like... I know everything came out. There was so much pressure going on. And I think also from the last couple of seasons, like there was so much tension building up and this is just when I broke. And uh, for me, it was super hard to, to keep going because I, I think like the weekend after was Crankworks Innsbruck. And I told Matt, like, Matt, I don't want to be here. Like I want to drive home. Like I can't deal with the people. I don't want to see anyone. I, I don't even want to race. Like, I did the duel and I got second, snapped my chain, blah, blah, blah. It was like, yeah, cool, fun. But like, you know, in front of the TV, you can always smile. But I was just so down and sad. And then what was after? Yeah, the DH race. I won that one. But like I told Matt in the morning, like, I don't want to race. I don't want to fail again. I don't want to, you know, be in a bad mood. And I was just so scared how this is going to end. Because if if I if I fail again, like, I don't think I want to race the whole season. And then luckily I won that race, which felt super nice, but I was still really sad because I knew, okay, it's just crankworks. It's not the, the age world cup. And, yeah. 
do you, do you feel like you'd kind of lost some of what you'd forgotten some of what you'd learned in the 2021 season a bit like this kind of happiness this approach that noga mm. bought had some of that like slipped away once the pressure of the season got going again maybe yeah for sure because like everybody's not every like you know after the snowshoe races i had the number one on my bike so i thought well this is me like now i need to win because i have the number one plate and this is how it should be and this is what what i have to do but no <laughs> like i kind of forgot like why i'm here in the first place and it was it was for me it was I don't know. I just try to make everyone else happy rather than like thinking, okay, how do I feel about it? And, you know, also like setting realistic goals because you can't be good, uh, at every race weekend. And, you know, every weekend you have different issues to overcome or, or problems on the track or problems with the bike and stuff. And yeah, like I said, it was just so results, result orientated rather than like uh, performance orientated because you can have the best run of your life, but become third but you gave your best. So yeah, it took me a while and luckily I figured it out for Andorra. Yeah. Well, and you snuck in another little, uh, trip away with Noga. You went and raced the EWS in Val de Fassa. Oh, true. Yeah. Uh, I forgot was, about that one. <laughs> I think your first EWS. Was that part of the process of kind of getting yourself back into a happy place that year, do you think? And like, oh, well, so how was it as an experience? And yeah, mm, was yeah. it part of what turned the year into a better better year than it had started oh yeah I, I remember like i told my team i wanted to do ews and they said well we don't really want you to race it and i was like yeah i'm just gonna do practice and hang out with cecile and noga and then i ended up racing it and they said i'm not allowed to because they were scared i i would crash or do something stupid so <laughs> oops sorry but um no i was like i always wanted to try an ews and obviously i'm training with cecile ravanel so i kind of had to do it uh, so I chose the, the Italy one and it was cool to see all the girls at the EWS. They, it just, I don't know, the vibe is a lot more friendlier than, than racing downhill World Cups. Even though now we girls in the downhill also get along really well. But I think with EWS, you just spend so much more time together and you like, you pedal up together, you suffer together. Or like in the age, everybody is in their own pits and you only see each other at the after party more or less. So it's yeah. a lot less. Uh, friendly I would say so yeah yeah did my first EWS I feel like some stages were not that bad and then I just lost a lot of spots on the last stage but also like I never rode a 15 minute stage before in my life so <laughs> I was just chilling you know on the fire roads where you know Noga told me she was sprinting I was like what like I had to settle up <laughs> first gear trying to recover for the downhill so um yeah I still need to figure out how to attack in EWS races but uh I'm I'm really keen to try to try some next yeah, season. Yeah, I've heard rumors around that you uh, are <laughs> tempted to do a few more. Do you think we'll see yeah, a few more this year? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I won't tell you. Maybe <laughs> you will see. <laughs> nice, good stuff. So yeah, you had that like time away from the downhill scene, I guess, and time with friends. Um, came back fifth place at Lenzer High, but then yeah, like you say, at Valnord, it really it really clicked into place, and that's a track that a lot of people really struggle with. Super mm. fast, like pretty narrow falling apart over the weekend the conditions were deteriorating it was stupidly hot all weekend as well mm. um how, what is it about that you think where it, that kind of brought it all together for you well to be honest like Lenzerheide was super hard for me because I crashed in qualifications and in my race run and it was just the fourth 
fourth time in a row that I crashed at the DH races. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. Like, why am I, like, I barely crash in practice. But every time I tried to push, I crashed. I was like, eh. Like, <laughs> if I want to go faster, I need to push. But it's not going to work if I always, like, lay down. So um, I kind of had, like, a really cool conversation in Lentaheide with some of my friends, um, which made, it was kind of like a Noga situation again, but with someone else. And it just made me realize that I need to enjoy it to, to, to perform. Like I need to be happier and not think about what other people could think of me. And I kind of came with a really good mood into Andorra. Like I was not expecting anything. I was just focusing on like ride your bike and make it look sick. And that's what I tried to do in Andorra. And then suddenly I won my first race again this season. Also with a bit of like luck because Pom Pom crashed and she would have kicked my ass. But, uh, yeah, that track was gnarly, man. It, it was so fast and so loose and it was so hard to go fast. And, you know, people say, Oh, you need to be able to, you know, turn your brain off to be fast on that kind of track. But I don't think I'm one of those person at all. Like I overthink everything way too much. So I don't really know, uh, what made me go so fast, but I just, you know, enjoyed it to ride my bike and I felt so good riding my bike. So cool. You mentioned like a conscious, uh, effort around how the run looks as well. Yeah. Like, is that aesthetic? Is that a style thing? And like, do you think that's helping you relax or like ease into the run? Like, how do you think that's working? Cause it almost like how it looks is irrelevant to some extent, mm. right? It's all about how fast it is, but well, I don't think so because I feel like style is really important. Like you remember people because they have a sick style. Obviously people can win and look shit on a bike, but I think it's also cool if you can win and look good on a bike. So people will remember your run maybe a bit more than thing like just cruising down and win, you know, like everybody remembers the Denny Hart run because he did a massive whip and obviously conditions were crazy, but the style, if he wouldn't have done that whip, maybe it wouldn't have been that crazy, you know, who knows? But, um, I don't know. I just really want to show people that, you know, especially that the women's women racer that show up next season with Phoebe and Gracie and everyone, they all bring so much style into racing. And I think it's just a new era of bike riders. So we want to show that obviously yeah, in front of the camera. There's, yeah. There's some awesome style. Do you think like, being like conscious of your style when you're on track in a race run helps you relax into your more natural riding though. Like, does it take a pressure away a bit? Oh, definitely. It's just way more fun to do your practice runs. You know, if you just focus on section to section and like, Oh, I need to go over that route to be there and there, but you focus on the jumps and be like, Oh, I want to get a sick photo of that jump <laughs> and I'm going to do a suicide no hander there and like try to get photos to post on Instagram. You know, it just, you know, it makes you a bit more loose and like, you know, it's kind of frees up your mind a bit more. Definitely. Yeah. It works for quite a lot of riders. I think there's a, yeah. definitely a few that, that kind of get into the flow that way. Mm. So you obviously had that awesome, uh, result in Valnord. Your next victory in the season was in Mont Saint Anne, a really different track to Valnord, but also quite high speed for a lot of it, I guess. Mm. Did you feel like things were all starting to click into place? Do you feel like you kind of started to suss this whole thing out? 
Yeah, it was just sick. Like I was enjoying the track in Mountain End so much, even though people say, oh, you know, you need to be a more experienced rider to do well on this track or like you need to be like super fit and blah, blah, blah. And obviously it was so cool for me to show people how strong I am because I, you know, I trained my butt off. I have the best coach in the world. Like we do so much hard work and I was so stoked that it paid off for tracks like, uh, mountain N. I also really enjoy it for William. I like the length. I like it when it's getting hard and tough and, you know, I am a really strong athlete. So, you know, I'm, I'm just stoked that you, that the hard work always pays off at the end. And, uh, I also like short tracks, but, uh, it, it's cool that as a young racer, you, you're able to, to go fast on long tracks as well. Definitely. Yeah. It's a real rider's track that definitely a good one to, to tick off on the win list. Mm. So I'm guessing you came into Leger in a pretty good mood then, right? Like you must've been feeling quite confident. Uh, yeah, I think we had like a two weeks break in between mountain N and Leger and, uh, yeah, just chilled a bit at home. I actually hosted my first, uh, Valley Hill performance camp, which was really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I saw you'd been doing those. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Like, for me, it was always really, I always wanted to give back to my community or like give back to, to other riders. And I was just so sad that there were no camps for girls. Like there are always like mountain bike camps for kids and blah, blah, but nothing dedicated to girls who do races. And I knew there are a lot of girls. And if I would have had the chance to ride with, I don't know, Rachel Redden or Miriam Nicole, man, I would have, you know, threw everything away and like go to their camp because that would have been the sickest thing in my whole life. But unluckily there was nothing like that. So uh, I just said, well, then I do it by, by, by myself and I organized everything by myself. I got a lot of support from my sponsors who paid the filmer, who paid the lift ticket with Salbach. It was amazing. And then uh, hosted my first camp. I was so nervous and it was so cool to see the girls pushing because obviously they wanted to show me what they're capable of but I was so scared because we were doing <laughs> the Leo Gang the age track and I was like okay try to do this and that but you know take care don't go too fast and obviously they didn't care they just went for it <laughs> and I was in the back like so scared that someone would crash and get hurt but I think we had a really good time and uh, I'm gonna do one next season as well but I want to do it uh, for everyone like international so yeah. the first game was just in German but uh, the next one will be in English. So it's going to be cool. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. And that, I guess, must have been a really nice thing to do mid-season, right? Before Worlds, there's no pressure. It's totally different. You're away from that race scene, having yeah. fun, kind of getting inspired as well, I guess, a bit. Well, it was actually really stressful. Okay. <laughs> just organizing everything. And, you know, I was just so scared someone would get hurt. Like, I could not really relax, to be honest, because uh -huh. I was just like, planning everything and taking care of the kids and stuff. So uh, probably I will do it before the race season next year or after it. I will see. I need to okay. think about it. Fair, it, was not, it was not relaxing. <laughs> yeah, but didn't give you much time to stress about world jams, I guess. Well, you were that's too true. busy. Yeah. That's true, so, yeah. So how, how were you coming into Leger then? Because it, uh, it was a hell of a week all round. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I remember I, we came like two or three days earlier. I picked up Tegan at the airport in Zurich and then... We rode like a day in Morzine. I've never been to Morzine, so that was that was fun. We did some secret lines. So, well, they're not secret because everybody knows where they are. <laughs> so, 
it was cool to ride and uh, you know get the feeling back on the age bike and uh, then world champs week started uh, i had no no expectations like okay i came from two wins what was it like andorra and mountain Anne. i knew i could win a race and i was just stoked to be there but i had no expectations i was hoping to not win qualifications for world champs because that's what i did the last two times and then i really you know messed up finals run but when i did the seeding run at world champs i got fourth and i was so pissed <laughs> i was so far back as well from miriam i was like eight seconds back and i was like oh my god this is oh my god this is not gonna work like i can go home okay we can throw away that those world champs again because i don't have the speed i'm not i'm not i don't know where to go and blah 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 and I was already thinking about the next one. Okay, where is where World Champs next year? Fort William, okay, maybe this one is going to work. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just worked really hard on my lines. Like, I never spent so much time looking for lines and trying new lines. And uh, I was riding a lot. Like, I, I remember doing a lot of laps. And then I think it rained on that extra day of practice. Yeah, in the morning, I think yeah. I the only girl still riding in the rain and obviously had a massive crash like i crashed so hard my butt was so sore because like i fell backwards on some roots with my butt and <laughs> it was so stupid i remember that my coach said that i should not ride in the rain but then matt said oh you should ride in the rain because what happens if it rains in your race run we need to test those tires so i did another run and then i crashed so it was so stupid i was so pissed about myself because you know, I didn't have to ride, but I did it because if, you know, I don't know, junior mistake. I don't know. Anyways, I was super sore the next day and somehow everything turned out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it did. Did you go into it at that point thinking you'd found enough to challenge for a win or were you just like, right, let's just get a good run in and see where we end up? Well, it was, it was kind of funny because like, I wanted to have a medal, but I was more thinking about like a bronze medal. Like, okay, third place, that would be sick. Like for me, it was sure that Pom Pom is going to win because it's France. It's Miriam is the fastest races. Like I still think she still goes a lot faster than me in some technical stuff. And it's just really inspiring for me. Like it really motivates me to, to push myself and yeah, I was just aiming for third place, to be honest, because I knew that's already quite hard because I knew how hard it was the last couple of seasons to be at the podium. And uh, it was kind of funny because normally Matt never says something at the start, but when the clock came down to 10 seconds, he was like, Bali, get it. And then suddenly something like swapped in my head and I just was like, sure, like, why not try? If I crash, I don't care. Let's just fucking go. And I never went so fast, the top half of the track. Like, I was going so fast and I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> in the steep woods, there was like a sick gap that I saw on the replay, like, no girls did. It was not far, but it was quite technical. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, oh, it felt so good. I lost a lot of time in the last part because I hated that one. And uh, I didn't know I was four seconds up in my world champs run. Like imagine if I wouldn't have like braked and slowed down in that stupid new sections, it would have been like a sick run, but I still won. And man, it's, it's so crazy to think about it. Like, I don't know 
why I can't do it more often like that. So I don't know. I, I mean, I still have a few more tries the next couple of years to, to go fast. But. For sure. You've got plenty, <laughs> you've got plenty of time, Valley. Yeah. What, what did it feel like then being on that hot seat kind of waiting for the other riders to come down and the crowd? Yeah, was... So yeah, I was, I was, I was second last when I dropped in. So there was only Kami behind me and, uh-huh. you know, Kami came from a, from her broken collarbone and, you know, I knew Kami is a, is a machine and like a wonder woman. <laughs> like she can, she can do a lot of crazy things that nobody really expects. And I, for me, it was so weird. Cause like when I crossed the finish line, I was first and I looked at the podium and Miriam Nicole was already there. Like she was not <laughs> on the top. She was there and I was faster than her. Same as Nina. Nina was second at that time when I crossed the finish line and Man, it was, it was so weird. Cause like in my head, like I knew, okay, she had a, you know, she comes fresh out of her injury and I had a really good run. And for me, it was, it felt so surreal. Cause like on one hand, I kind of knew I had won, but also I knew Kami can still kick my ass. So <laughs> it was so weird waiting there. And then when Kami crossed the finish line, I was just like, what just happened? Like I'm 20 years old and I'm world champion already like i'm gonna get that cool white jersey <laughs> and i will keep those stripes forever and it's and then my family was there and like my mom was crying my friends were crying like it was so cool because i had all my favorite people with me at that race and matt was crying which like i've never seen him emotional <laughs> before in my life his wife and my godson was there as well and like Charlotte, his wife said, like, he didn't even cry at his, at their wedding, but he cried for me winning. Wow. And it, it meant so much to me. Like it was, it was just perfect winning in France. And also for Cecile, for the French riders, they were so stoked that I won in, in France because Matt is French, Cecile is French. For sure, the French national team didn't really like it that I have actually quite a lot of French uh, influence in me, but, uh, Oh, it was just perfect. It was so cool. Yeah, an incredible place to take your first World Champs jersey, hey? Yeah, definitely. Very, very Super special. Stoked. Yeah, you mentioned Cecile a couple of times. So Cecile Ravenel, incredible rider, dominated EWS for a good chunk of time. Um, very, very good technical rider. How long have you guys been working together? And what like what is that relationship? How are you how are you operating? Uh, we actually only started working super close in 2021. So I met Cecile for the first time at my first junior world cup in Croatia. And it was pretty cool. Cause I got to know them through SRAM because Cecile was there and we stayed in the same pit at the SRAM truck. And, uh, I didn't know anyone at the world cups at that time. I mean, it was my first race and I didn't know how practice works or what I'm going to do. So Cecile said, what, just, just follow me. And it was so cool because now I know that like elite riders don't ride with juniors at all or help other people. And it's so stupid. Like why don't help other, other people when Ceci was so welcoming and so open. And like the funniest thing was that, you know, there were some pretty big jumps in Lojin at the top at the start. I remember yeah. like two big gap jumps. And I asked Cecilia if she did them already. And she's like, yeah, yeah, just follow me. And then like we sprinted to that one. And she just pulled away, like out. And I was like in front of the chump without anyone in front of me. And I just jumped that thing and she chickened out. It's like, what the fuck? Like you said you did it. She was like, yeah, yeah. My cleat was loose, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It was so funny. Like that was our first uh, 
experience together. And since then we are really, really good friends. And I trust her so much. Like there's no day I'm like not talking to her because of my training of like stuff I want to do planning. Um, yeah, like she's a massive help in my career and I'm so stoked to, to know her because she's a legend and she just helps me in all kinds of ways in my life because also the way she, she lives her life, like they just enjoy it. They do only fun stuff and they know how to have fun in their life. So that helps me to, to get out of my comfort zone and like, you know, just become a cool person. Yeah, that's ace. So is Cecile programming like all of your training or is it more like bike focused coaching? How's that work? Yeah. So in the past, uh, I had a gym trainer at home who did all my yeah, conditioning training and uh, Cecile started then kind of doing 50% of the other job, like all my intervals and endurance training and kind of my week planning because mm -hmm. There are not many coaches out there who know how demanding a day on the DH bike is or even half a day. So for me, sometimes it was always a bit too much training or like, you know, I did like gym in the morning and then did like full runs in the afternoon, which is like super hard. And then, uh, yeah, maybe I spend less time on, on the endurance side, but now with Cecile, like she overtook all my training this year. Okay. So she's planning everything, endurance and gym and riding time. And uh, the volume is uh, a lot more than what I used to do, but also like I'm way fitter now. Like I'm getting older. I have more capacity, like more, more, yeah, strength and I can handle a lot more. And uh, that's, it's pretty cool. Like every day is super hard and she's kicking my ass, but I know it's <laughs> gonna, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna, it's important for me. So it's good. Awesome. That's yeah, cool to hear that that's working out well. So how, how are you feeling then by the time we reach the final round at Varasol, which is only really a few days after winning mm -hmm. world champs in Leger, a lot of riders seemed pretty tired by the time we got there and the track definitely wasn't the sort mm -hmm. of thing you wanted to ride well, tired. <laughs> that, that was actually pretty fun because I think I'm the only world champion that didn't show up at the after party because <laughs> two hours after the podium for my world champs jersey, I got uh, a super weird virus. Like I puked the whole night. Oh, like no. I remember I like dressed up to go to the party. I met my parents at the party and I said, I I'm so sick. Like I'm, I'm feeling so bad. And then my dad was like, yeah, you did, did you drink already way too much. I was like, no, I didn't touch any alcohol except of that champagne bottle at the podium. And then I went back to the hotel and then I just like spent the whole night in front of the toilet puking. And, uh, the whole team already had that virus during the week, but I just managed to like not get it during the race. And then just, I think just because my body just like was so tired and empty and excited that I just, you know, I just lost it and got it and puked the whole day, which was super hard. And I was just so tired of that virus, I think. And also like all the media attention, like emotionally, like I was so tired of the world champs. Like it's insane how many interviews I had to give, like how many people call, like, and just like kind of trying to, to process what you achieved and like your feelings. And, you know, it was, it was so new to me to be so happy and stoked. And, uh, yeah, and now I get it why like, yeah, what it means to be a professional athlete because you need to deal with so many things. And it, for me, it was super hard to like make a cut and focus on Valdisole because now in Valdisole, I would have also had the chance to win the overall. 
But for me, I didn't care about the overall at all. Like I was so stuck with World Champs that I was like, well, I can go home now. I don't need to race the last World Cup. But then, you know, people said, okay, now it's time to focus. You should think about the overall. But at the same time, for me, this overall, it wouldn't have felt right to win it because someone else was unlucky again. Kami would have won the overall easily if she wouldn't have broken her collarbone and missed mountain end, you know. So for me, I was so stoked for her to to take the win in the overall because she did really, really great that season. And yeah, I was just tired for Valisola. Like the last, I won qualifying, but Kami didn't do it. And Miriam, I think she had a, she had a flat tire. I think Nina also crashed in qualification. So yeah, I won I won this, the qualification, but we don't get points for that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for my race run, I was just getting tired at the end and it was important for me to not crash. And I got third in Val Sole, which is amazing. I got to wear my white rainbow kit. <laughs> William won the race. Kami won the overall. I was world champion. Everyone was happy. So uh, it was a really good end to the season. Yeah. Yeah. Good vibes. So yeah, three seasons then into your elite career now. How do you feel you're doing? I mean, you've had an overall, you've had world mm-hmm. champs, but you've also had some some low lows as well. Like, how do you feel in general? I think I'm doing quite okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an understatement. Yeah, no, I I think um it's it's going really great. Um, I learn a lot every season, and I feel like I changed a lot as a person as well. Like, I'm just growing up doing World Cup races, and uh, I think it all goes into the right direction. I don't yeah. think I'm becoming a, a bad person, so I guess it's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> in hindsight, do you think it would have been better if you'd had a tougher time in juniors? Do you think that would have helped? I think it would have been good to learn how it's going to feel like, how to handle disappointment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I never really had the okay, my biggest disappointment was a second place, which is still a joke somehow to me. Um yeah. I think it would have been better just to be a bit more disappointed, but at the same time, like it hurts a lot more in elite and there's a lot more attention on you and there is the camera. Like you if you cry, everybody sees it on TV and for me, that was more the problem. Like I couldn't hide from the people and, uh, yeah, it's just something you learn when you race elite. And I think it's also good in, in some ways. So, yeah. And in that, in that junior career, I think it's probably fair to say it was easier to find a pace that you could ride at that was quick mm. enough to win, but like relatively safe. You were confident exactly. you get to the bottom in one yeah. piece. That's a lot harder in elite women. And it feels oh, yeah. like that's getting even harder. Like the, the competition at the top end of the elite women's field mm-hmm. is incredibly strong. We've got riders like Marin Cabaru and Tani to come back. We've got Phoebe and Gracie coming up, super stylish, very talented riders. It's only getting harder for, for you to sort of find that balance between going fast enough, but not overstepping the line, right? Oh, definitely. In a, in one way, it's so cool because finally we have that competition going on. You know, everyone is training so hard. And the good thing is like, I still know what I can change. You know, I still know where to work in which areas I need to work on. And I know I'm, I'm still so young and there's so much more room to improve and, and reach the top where 
you know, I don't want to say that maybe older riders struggle a bit more with like, with like adapting to some new things, but you know, um, I feel like I know what I need to change and I know how to do it. And I have the best uh, people around me to, to help me. And also to see that women feel growing and becoming so strong. It just makes racing so much more exciting. Like it's, it's so cool. Like I'm so stoked about next season. It's going to be crazy. So cool. It will. Yeah. Are you, are you willing to share any of those areas that you feel you need to improve on or is that stuff you want to kind of keep to yourself? Uh, I think I'm going to keep it to myself then. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I don't want to give away everything now. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. So, uh, 2022, it's been a good year for you. It's ended on a real high. You're on the front cover of Hurley Burley book for the 2022 oh, yearbook. How's that? This is so cool. Like I didn't even know. The first time I, I saw it was when I opened Instagram. I was like, woohoo, that's pretty cool. Thank you guys. Like I was over the moon. Like it it's so cool because now with with every like the last couple of months that after after my World Champs win that I got to live were pretty sick. I mean just because you're doing well opens so many doors for you. Like I get invited to so many cool events, like so many cool film projects and I get to meet so many interesting people, which, you know, which I didn't before, which is on one hand, it's kind of sad because just because you're doing well and you have some titles, you get that, you get the chance to do it, but I really appreciate it. And, uh, it's just such a cool life at the moment. Like I'm loving it. Excellent. Is it, is it, hard to balance like the training demand and then the media and all the opportunities that come your way because you've got one eye on next season you need to keep media stuff going like how do you balance it all yeah i mean i i used to take it way too serious like in 2020 and 2021 where like last season or this season like i just want to live and enjoy my life and if i get sick opportunities i know you know, if I'm not world champion in 10 or five years again, I probably won't get that opportunity again to, to go and attend something like this. Or for example, this February, I'm flying to Japan to go skiing. Sweet. And normally I would be like, no, I'm not going to go two weeks away during the off season to go skiing to Japan. Like it's so stupid, but now I'm like, well, why not? Season starts only in June. And I'm going to have so much fun and go with some really, really cool people. And why not? Like, let's just go for it and have fun. Like, this is going to be so sick. Definitely. Well, it sounds like you're in a really good place, Valley. It's awesome to hear. It's been cool to see your progress over the last couple of years. See you putting all the bits together and uh, growing and, and, you know, bringing a big chunk of challenge to that women's field and a big chunk of style along with it. I'm excited to see how 2023 goes for you. If people want to keep up to date on, and follow your journey, where's the best place for them to look? Oh, I guess my Instagram. Easiest. Yeah. All right. Which is at? Valley Hull with uh, H-O-E-L-L. <laughs> Got it. Good stuff. We'll stick links in the show notes. People can find that. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to sit down. I know you're a busy person. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we look Easy. forward to seeing how you get on next year. Thank you so much. It's going to be sick. <laughs> nice one. Cheers, Valley. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Valley. I really hope you've enjoyed it. 
A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode. We Are One are offering you an incredible 15% off everything on their website until midnight on the 31st of December. That means you can get a discount on their new Convergence wheels, their recently reduced and still very awesome Revolution wheels, and also their incredible bike, The Arrival. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIMEDECEMBER15 at the very final stage of the checkout process over at weareonecomposites.com. That's DOWNTIME with a capital D, December also with a capital D, all one word, followed directly by the number 15 over at weareonecomposites.com. Don't forget that code won't work until you're at the very final stage of the process, which is called confirm order. Also, a massive thanks to 7Mesh. If you're in the market for some amazing quality riding kit, then whether you're wanting to try 7Mesh for the first time or you're already hooked, they're offering downtime listeners a very generous 20% discount using the code DOWNTIME7MESH20. That's downtime, followed by the number 7, then M-E-S-H, and the number 20, all in capitals with no spaces. So that's downtime, 7mesh20 over at 7mesh.com. Head over now and check them out, and what's even better is that they ship globally. So wherever you are, you can get your hands on some top quality riding gear at a reduced price. Here are another few links that might be useful to you downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some brand new merch and forward slash ep if you'd like to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project downtime ep as always spread the word tell your rider mates and make sure as many people as possible are listening that's it for today we're gonna have another awesome episode coming up really soon but until next time have a great christmas and get out and ride (laughs) 